Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein's Soul's Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein Life Beyond and Frankenstein's Soul's Echo are available as ebooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes & Noble, Cabo, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Diplomatic community. With your host, Pete. I don't want to hear any of your bullshit either. The question here is garbage. Who picks up this mess? And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has ruled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. This is about a magical year called 1989, Ryan. <laughs> a young Joe Piscopo was <laughs> off to conquer Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> the renaissance of Saturday Night Live was still occurring. <laughs> yes, yes it was. The Simpsons was beginning. <laughs> People still believed in WWF wrestling. <laughs> George Bush was in the White House, but not that one, kids. <laughs> and a lovely year at the cinema of 1989. Yes, of 1989. So here we are again with another year. What? I thought we were changing the format. Didn't we talk about changing the format? What happened to changing the format, man? All right, fine. I'm going to change the format into I'm looking positively at most of these movies because, by God, these were the movies of my childhood. Like well, I, uh, you, before we get into this, do you want to talk about this year's summer? No. Let's <laughs> No, because this was recorded in 2016. Everyone knows no. <laughs> it's just the summer was a big old pile of meh. When's the last summer you can think of where we didn't have a big old pile of me here lately? Didn't? Yes. We've we've been on the sequel train here, I feel like, for at least three solid years as far as summer movies go. And as far as I can remember, nothing's really... You know, we've had, obviously, movies that were more successful than other movies over the course of the summer, but... You just haven't had, like, a sustained across-the-board, like, oh, my God, like, every week there's something going on type summer. Well, I mean, you can pick out movies from each summer. 
that you can well, yeah, point to. Yeah, that's what but... I'm saying. I, you can definitely do that. I'm just saying, like, a consistent, like, I'm sure as we go through the list, and again, this is, like, over the course of 1989, so I'm romanticizing this a little bit, but um, it, it feels to me like when you had more original properties coming out and not just a diet of sequels or genre films that uh, there was kind of more investment in the box office. Well, that goes towards a larger grand scale businessy talk about how the model of Hollywood has changed even from the greedy eighties, because now it's really a, a couple of uh, larger conglomerate corporations that own studios. So, a lot of what they're what's going into this is what's a known property that can make money. Oh, so we're gonna make some money, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Get out there and make me some goddamn money. <laughs> so, but you're fa- but I also you're facing the issue just like back in the fifties where we we gotta add CinemaScope and 3D. We're gonna lose to television. No, they didn't lose the TV. It just got you know evened out well now we're in another version of that where tv and netflix and and youtube and every possible option for us in our modern society to amuse ourselves outside of the normal waking hours there's so many choices that movies pretty much have to be an event or nothing it seems like i mean a lot of movies are still going to make some money Oh yeah, but I unless it's an absolute like Marvel, you know the next Marvel movies coming out or the next Star Wars movies coming out, and hell, even though they haven't been received very well, the next DC movie because they're known properties, like excessively known, not just known known. And I, I pretty much would put those three at the gold standard, maybe the Bond series, but even then, that still has a little bit of issue because it's more of a British thing. I'm just wondering if the cure for the summertime blues, so to speak, might be just doing more original films again. But what I was getting at is that that theory sounds nice, but then you look at the original stuff that came out this summer and nobody saw it. Mm -hmm. Like, well, the nice guys, Shane Black, it's funny and stuff, and it's original. Yeah, nobody saw it. Or, um, I mean, really, this summer was just dominated by lower-level uh, horror movies. That as far as like hits went, yeah. As far as like well, that, that money making number CGI one kid movies. It's yeah. It's either animated like Finding Dory, Secret Life of Pets, Jungle Book, or it's Don't Breathe or Turn Out the li- or Lights Out or or whatever it was, uh, or The Conjuring Two. I mean, all these little horror movies that cost 10 15 million to make make that in an opening weekend and we're back to the 80s model now but instead of freddie and jason and michael it's now um you know little indie horror movie type things that kind of win and then if you have a finding dory and a secret life of pets or hell even the next ice age movie those things cost a lot but they still they make a lot so i i think you're just running into that mid-level movie is just gone. That mid-level original is being made on Netflix now. 
and Hulu and Amazon Prime and HBO and it's it's not really necessary to go out to the theater to see that anymore like we Yeah, I just I just ultimately wonder where all of this is headed. I mean, you know, it's are we looking at the beginning of the end for theaters? Are we looking towards a you only go to theaters exclusively for event films and everything else is yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's it's just kind of an interesting spot that we're at since we're looking back at you know kind of a tail end of our childhood period and everything, and then you look at where we are now and. It's just kind of interesting to think about. I just I think there's going to be a, a, a tightening of the, the 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 budgets. I think is the, the the main thing that has to happen because so many of these companies are just unloading 150, 170 million dollar budgets on these things that have a name. Well, the marketing budget on these movies, my God. Well, that too, and then they're expecting to make it back, and they're saying, well, we'll just make it back in worldwide gross and toy sales and at home and all the other ancillary things that didn't exist in 1989. We'll make all that money back. And now I think this summer is proving, no, you're not. (laughs) Because, uh, number one, you, you... you probably should make a decent script first. Yeah, please stop. Just picking a date. <laughs> and okay, then, we're going to release this movie. Have you written the movie yet? No. The what now? <laughs> um, maybe do that first and then pick a release date? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest issue right now is everybody claiming these tentpole weekends and then shoot well, more. It's really important that we get our dates, Ryan. Oh, President Rude Balls is back. <laughs> Chicago won Best Picture. Uh, I don't know. What's interesting, before we go through the list here of 1989, which is what we're here for anyways now, 1989, sweet spot. I was 12, so we just captured the VCR, you know, knowledge of how to make that work and got the green light to to unload uh, pay-per-view movies to then record them on VHS. Fairly expensive at 89. Yep, but, uh, you know, you put them on SLP, and you can fit three movies on a tape. Oh, yeah. And so I would, you know, record them and then watch them endlessly. So when we were talking the other day about this, I kind of did the math in my head and said, pretty much the end of 88 to the middle of 90, that is the sweet spot in my head when I think of the movies that I have seen probably... If I were to put a category, a graph together in my history of, like, what movies have I seen, like, in double-digit numbers of times, it's going to be astounding how many of those movies are going to fall on this list we're going to go through here. Because <laughs> it was just in that sweet spot. No, no, that's a good I'm point. Sit there uh, and I'm going to watch what all you these. would get together and watch with your friends. And like you said, videotape off TV or however you got your hands on it or pony up the... 40 to 90 dollars for a videotape <laughs> well that's when you bought them but no the well, actual yeah, yeah. like the basf or fuji cassettes oh, yeah, that i just no, bought just that was just a pack of three pack of three for like no, nine bucks cheap, but yeah you're talking about buying about, the movie yes yeah, i'm talking about recording it off pay-per-view right right um so you know it, we're not even just in the summer we're just gonna look at the box office from 1989 and 
we figured this out before we started. If we started at 50, it would be a waste of time. <laughs> um, because, frankly, between 40 and 50, I have only seen one, two... Oh, we're going off different lists, so I'm just kind of curious. Here. Well, pull up, pull up box office mojo, and let's just work off the same list. All right. Well, I got IMDb up. Nah, IMDb is stupid. <laughs> Hope anybody listening to IMDb isn't listening. Uh, well, uh, just for kicks, just to see how how different or similar they are here. Well, it shouldn't be different. We're just going off of math. Well, <laughs> so I, it should hey, be. Ma- I, I don't it know. Should, it should be should be basic let's, math. Let's just have some fun here. All right. So, what do you got at number forty? All right, number forty is. Roadhouse. Hey, yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Well, it should because again, it's math. <laughs> I uh, I saw Roadhouse on. fairly recently, and I'll just oh yeah, yeah it was yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna flip through a couple of the ones between there and like 50 or so. So uh, the Dream Team with yep. Michael yep. Keaton. Yeah, between 40 and 50 on my list, the only movies I've seen are The Dream Team, Glory, and Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Yeah, I remember The Dream Team was coming out... Post-Batman. Was it post-Batman or before? I was... Well, I mean, look at the... uh, Oh, no, it was before, but I I remember seeing it afterwards. I remember remember that little, like, mental schism, because, of course, there was a lot of... Uh, controversy around Michael Keaton being cast as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, and like this, I thought, yeah, had preceded it, and so it's just kind of interesting that it came out in the same year because he's very much in his normal Michael Keaton '80s comedy mode in the Dream Team. Sure, but so, I barely remember that fun. movie outside of Extreme Keaton Mullet and Christopher Lloyd was in it too. But that's really it. I remember going to Washington, D.C. in the baking hot summer of 1989 and seeing lots of posters in the subway for Do the Right Thing. Well, sure. But I still never saw it, so you can... I've seen parts of it. I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing. I don't know if I've seen it all the way through or not. Uh, Glory was clocking in at number 45. Yeah. Um, I know that that... uh, I don't think that that got a whole lot of attention until Oscar season rolled around, right? If you talk like that, I I, I wouldn't know how to answer it. I mean, but I know, like, you know, I look at this and I see number 49. I'm like, hey, a Cincinnati connection. They filmed Uh Rock Up in Cincinnati. All right. (laughs) Yeah. One of the last things at the old Cincinnati Workhouse Jail, and then they tore it down. Uh, yeah. Vaguely remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of whatever. But you get into the 30s, and number 39 is one of them classics that I can say beyond any guilt. <laughs> I have seen Weekend at Bernie's more than 10 times in my life. Uh, I might be sitting at two for that one. I just that was that was on the list of cheese ball yeah. things that hit twelve year old me at the sweet spot of stupidity and then you watch it now and you're like Ow. Well we were I don't know. I mean they were kind of catering to our demographic at that point in our lives, so to speak. So it's like what's that a wacky comedy? Oh my god, but yeah you watch it now. Now it's like extraordinarily painful to sit through. It really is. It's not even like, oh, this is good for kids. It's more like, 
This is awful. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is this is one of those ones that definitely does not age well. <laughs> it's just terrible. Um, I got Thank down, God there's a sequel. Uh, down on 37, <laughs> I, I, I got Lean on Me with uh, Morgan Freeman. About the bear. I don't even remember the bear. <laughs> we're we're going to pick and choose because we're That's way up here in the 30s. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell the bear is. Um, but Lean on Me at Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Morgan Freeman, he was a principal. Hey. Wasn't that Lean on Me? Or was that. No, yeah. Well, he stars in it. I, I okay, yeah, that was. Yeah. I did not see Lean on Me, so I can't really. He, he, was, he was Principal something Clark? Mr. Clark? You don't remember? Okay. You never saw Lean on Me? Oh, right. it's a true story. Hey, look, I haven't seen every movie there is out there. Fine, Bond man, License to Kill. It was <laughs> well, Timothy Dalton's greatest. Talking about Lean on Me? Uh, the, there's not. We'll, we'll, we'll go further in when we get to like the twenties. Okay. We got a long okay. way to go. <laughs> oh, License to Kill. It's yes, a, it's a it's a crazy this, Daltonness. Right. Um. This was before I had really gotten into Bond. I think that happened for me more in the 90s. Bond was just kind of something you heard about every now and again in the 80s and wasn't anything that, like, my friends were really into. So it wasn't like, ooh, let's go see a Bond movie or anything like that. I remember this coming out. I remember there being different controversies around it. The level of violence in it was one of them. They were really pushing... Um, starting to push the whole, ooh, he's a monogamous Bond, and stuff like that. And, of course, since it was the uh, late 80s, he had to fight drug dealers. Sure. Um, was, was that uh, Robert Davi? Yep, Robert Davi's in this one. <laughs> Not since the glory days of Robert Davi have we seen a villain grace our screens. <laughs> the one two punch of Die Hard and License to Kill. Well, Robert yeah, Davi. but um, no, I I don't know when I I saw this years later um, and just kind of knew it by its reputation. But yeah, this. Uh, for various reasons, kind of put that franchise on hiatus. And I believe uh, Timothy Dalton was originally scheduled to come back, and I, there's and a whole... And the public just went, no, we're good. Well, there was <laughs> some of that, I'm sure, some hand-wringing about that, but uh, there was always these different lawsuits going back and forth, going back to the whole Thunderball movie stuff from the 60s and the rights on that and that's how you ended up with that uh, Never Say Never Again movie and everything and another round of lawsuits about that all kind of cropped up because they wanted to do a sequel to that movie and that's kind of what delayed stuff and Dalton kind of bad out just because it's like I gotta do other work uh, so. of course well Three out of the next four, I definitely will put into that I've seen more than ten times category. Because <laughs> I, I, Fletch Lives, The Burbs, and Bill and Ted's, I have seen millions of times. Well, I've got something different at 33. Well, i got 33. i got Karate Kid Part 3. Oh, okay. But I said three of the next four. Oh, all right. My bad. Because so, Karate Kid Part 3, I think I saw once. And I was like, 
Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I've only seen snippets of that note by reputation. We can talk about some mac and cheese, but why would you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Like, I, as I look through the rest of the list, I mean, it's a good list with a lot of good summer movies and a lot of good, you know, dramatic movies and movies I've seen before. But I will say, quite frankly, well, hey, we'll go further in the list. It's highly likely that uh, my the number thirty four on this list for me might be either my favorite or second favorite movie of the whole year, The Burbs. Check out our sequel. Exactly. <laughs> go way back in the archives and find out how Ricky Show takes over five or whatever it was. <laughs> Ricky takes over the neighborhood. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Peterson. <laughs> uh, but Fletch lives. I mean, you look back now and people don't like it, but I still think it's fu- it's funny and it's it's always kind, it's kind of I I would argue the last of if you will classic Chevy Chase from that era. Really is uh, you get you get much further beyond this. Uh, you can definitely do like Christmas Vacation, but. After that, it's just kind of like yeah, Christmas Vacation is the same year, so you really yeah, know, you I got know. the one-two punch that's, of Fletch Lives and Christmas Vacation. It's just kind of like you got out of the '80s, and it was like, well, He's that done. was cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good run, Chevy. See you later. See you later, Cops and Robertson. <laughs> Thanks for having your Fox talk show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh God, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody else. I got canceled. <laughs> uh, and then Bill and Ted's. That is just one of those classic. I have not seen it in a, a quite a while, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it would actually hold up a little bit. But I don't know why I always stick this movie a year earlier in my brain. I think it's just got so much of the kind of surfer talk mentality, and for some reason I put that more as an 88 thing for me. But, uh, yeah, I remember seeing this one in the theater. Oh, yeah, and Mr. Logan, sorry. <laughs> you want your keys? You better come and get them, dude. <laughs> I'm new, sir. I'm new, dude. I mean, sir. sir. <laughs> Look, we found your keys. If you want them, you're going to have to come and get them. <laughs> uh, kids, go look at it and see some glory that is George Carlin's acting career. That was a movie where, oh my gosh, I mean, the the clock was definitely already ticking on this script. If this had come out any later than it did, would not have caught on. No, but... You you pretty much had the window of, I think, 87 to 89 to get this thing out, and they got it out, but... um, I, I don't know, since we're sitting at Bill and Ted's, do you have any thoughts about their third quill or whatever it's going to be i don't know if it's a reboot or a now they've been talking about it for a, they've been talking about it for such I thought a they were long actually, time like, i thought they had filmed it i thought it was coming out next year or something no that i i mean not unless i've heard anything different but I, uh, oh i thought it was a done deal i thought it was like it sounded camp. like they were def- yeah we're definitely gonna do it and yeah yeah we're gonna do that but yeah. <laughs> Right after I do, right after I do John Wick Five, yeah, we're gonna do that, and then I'm gonna go back and do Speed Three, yeah. Um, Bill and Ted's on a bus, uh, that, that would work. I don't know. It would be interesting. I know that Alex Winter and Keanu have talked about it, so it's obviously a continuation. But yeah, I, a lot of people say Bogus Journey was. Oh, it's a missing classic. I've seen Bogus Journey fairly recently, within the last year or two. 
no. Uh-uh. It's got it's, it's got, got a moments. couple of bits that are good, but as a whole, no, it's a mess. It really does not hold up well at all. And there's quite honestly some very annoying crap in there. Yeah. <laughs> Station. Yeah. Let's yeah. get on to. You can you can get rid of that entire part of the movie, <laughs> and you probably could have come up with something a lot more fun, like the original one was. Well, I. I roll through 31 through 26. Uh, I, three fugitives. Oh, wow. K- James Belushi, K-9. K-9. Yes. <laughs> which is interesting, because let me see. Release date at April 28th, and let me go down the list a little bit further, and I see July 28th. So the more successful of this uh, cop and dog matchup will be coming later on our list. So we'll uh, see. Yes. Um, and you got always there were an awful lot of dog movies around this time. All dogs go to heaven came out this year. Apparently <laughs> you said dogs on the brains. I see Spielbergo at 29 with always meh. It's just oh, those meh movies. Yeah. Um, that, man, that movie just is literally from my memory, the definition of going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like I know that's kind of the, whole plot of the movie in some ways, but oh my god. Yeah, that thing's a slog to try to sit through. It's a Spielberg attempt at doing a Tony Scott cinematography and it's just like, oh wait, he needs a story. He's just practicing the the golden hues of the Top Gun look on uh, on Richard Dreyfuss and it never worked. I, I feel like we had this whole subgenre of films in the 1980s where it's like, somebody's dead and they've got to do something to move on to the next phase and we'll tell an entire movie about them doing just that. Hey, 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 you dead person. Do something. <laughs> okay, am I making that up, or does it seem like that to you too? I mean, I'm trying to think of other movies that, like, um, that's the, I, I, I never. There was a show, Dad. I don't know. There was a Shelley Long one, wasn't there? A Roseanne yeah. or something? Oh yeah. Uh, like, and then it was Dead, one more Dead again or something like that. Was that what that was? Possibly. Called? And then there was a more serious one with Emma Thompson, I think. And yeah. Kenneth Branagh. What? It, I, no, I just feel like it was a thing there for a while, where it's just like, oh, oh, we we're dead, but we're not dead yet. Ghost. I think Ghost was the nadir of that. Yeah, that and situation. that would be the following year, right? That came out in ninety. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't know. Black Rain. Michael Douglas never saw it. Uh, yeah, so all I remember from Black Rain is the VHS cover, which is a picture of Michael Douglas with sunglasses. And on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, and the main thing I remember is that shot from the trailer of a guy on a motorcycle coming at Michael Douglas with a, a sparking sword on the ground. I don't know. This movie, uh, again, it was kind of a subgenre of the, I don't know, mid to late 80s, and I think it kind of died out with uh, Rising Sun in 93, but just the whole. Uh, crossover between uh, Japanese culture and American culture with the whole uh, business stuff that was going on in the 80s between the two countries and everything. Yep, and then the next one's a little sad because we just lost Mr. Wilder, and this is the last movie I really remember seeing him in was See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Um... He might have been in like a TV movie. How long movie after this did Richard Pryor pass away? This could be two. No, Pri- no, no. Pryor was sick. He didn't he actually. He didn't actually die till like 
10 years ago or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, he was maybe a little bit longer ago, but yeah, he was sick for a long time, so he stopped oh, doing stuff. Okay. But um, I just remember it was funny, and it was I don't think I saw this one. I, I wouldn't put this one in the double digits for me, but I know I saw it a couple of times just because. Yeah, I caught this on TV a couple of times, and I'm always up for watching anything that Gene Wilder is in. So, um, and it was, it was fine, yeah. Uh, but I don't remember a whole lot about the plot i think i'd probably end up if you asked me to go through it i'd probably end up blending this and its sequel together and just make a big mis- mishmash of there a movie a, but it was a sequel to see no evil hear no evil i'm like 90 percent sure I, let me look i don't i don't think so the, the the only thing i'm thinking of that i can remember from see no evil hear no evil is a very young kevin spacey was the bad guy and a very young Kevin Spacey. <laughs> teaching us all how to be a bad guy. We had a very young Benicio Del Toro in the Bond movie this year. So Yeah, and then uh, and, and Richard, or Gene Wilder, you know, was the guy who could see. And, yeah. And he was, gout, gout, when he, you know, look out, and it was in the trailer. That's that's all I remember. Maybe there wasn't a sequel to this. I swear I thought there was a sequel to this. Uh, I don't think so. But let's get to the seminal movie on this list. (laughs) The major bomb movie on this list that hit us all in our hearts and minds, Major League. Uh, yes. (laughs) Me for different reasons, but yes. uh, I saw it multiple, multiple, multiple times, and that's because I was a baseball fan. But quite frankly, growing up in Cincinnati, it was amazing how little I was aware of the Cleveland Indians as actually being a real team and not just made up for this movie. I was just <laughs> kind of coming to the end of my, like, playing on school team period with baseball, I think, around the time that this movie came out. And, Me too. Um, yeah. I, I think this was also around the time where... Uh, I was so growing up. I was so much more aware of the Reds than I was about anything to do with the Indians. Because, like this movie points out, they'd been terrible for so long, <laughs> for a long time. Yep. And I kind of went, oh, and this kind of made it uh, fun to get into it. And I, this is honestly, this is probably where I just really started paying attention to them. Um, it was an outgrowth of this movie, oddly enough. So. Uh, and then you the were disappointed when you realized <laughs> you realized there was no Rick Vaughn on the actual team. Uh, I, do re- I did realize that you needed to get your glove down to work. Getting run of damn ball, Norn. <laughs> Lou Brown. Sounds like he swallowed a bunch of boiling marbles. <laughs> what? <laughs> run of the ball. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Lou, you, you want to come back and manage the team? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't know. This, this, uh, there's, there also seem to be kind of a plethora of baseball movies that this seemed to be towards the tail end of as well. Well, '89 uh, itself had Field of Dreams, Eight Men Out, and uh, Major yeah, League. Bull Durham and the '88. Yeah, Bull Durham was in '88. Natural uh, was '84. So, yeah, yeah, you had a yeah. run. 
was kind of in that kind of in that vein. And then I don't know, you had stuff like uh, the Sandlot and Babe, the Babe, and stuff like that after this. So. Oh sure. But then you got a Star Trek movie that uh, everyone loves. Somebody laid an egg. <laughs> His name uh, is William Shatner. Uh, that's that's your bag. Again, we've we've had a full episode on Star yeah, Trek, but yeah, uh, apparently this is not it. the good one. Yeah, unless unless you really want to be entertained by just a movie that is completely awful and you just shake your head at every creative decision there. Um, yeah, not not really worth checking out. All right, well, then you move on to another one of my I have seen way more than ten times, The Abyss. About ten, yeah. The, the, the lost stepchild of the James Cameron oeuvre, The <laughs> Abyss. Everybody oh, goes to James Cameron and says, oh, the Terminator movies and Titanic and Avatar. Oh, maybe True Lies. What about The Abyss, jerk? I, the behind-the-scenes stories on the production of this thing are just amazing. <laughs> this film exists is amazing. Uh, it, yeah, I do remember seeing that when they filmed it in, like, a big water tank or something and just got James Cameron all hopped up. The fact up that nobody ended water. up, like, drowning in the filming of this movie. I mean, just wow. <laughs> well, it's got... This falls into that category for me of movies that... I have some sort of weird sticking point in my head for line readings and that just stay <laughs> okay. in my head forever. It, it's it's like the whole, uh, if you, if somebody ever says the word right, it's always coming out like Dr. Evil. Right. It, it, the abyss has like line readings for me. Like if anything's going wrong, if like I'm trying to fix something or something's broken or uh, if, something, if I'm getting frustrated doing anything, this is how deep cuts this goes. I will click into the Ed Harris tone from when they're <laughs> they're sinking in that little submarine, and he just uh -huh. goes, "God damn it! All I need is a goddamn crescent wrench." <laughs> why? Because I've seen this movie a hundred goddamn times. This, this is might why. be the first movie that I can remember seeing Ed Harris in. Yeah, I know I'd he was in agree. stuff before this, but I think this was kind of my introduction to him. I think it definitely was for me. Um, I, yeah, because I don't think I ever saw the right stuff. I, in fact, I've never seen the right stuff. I've seen through. the right stuff. Very uh, long movie, but yeah, it, it, this is definitely intro. And I just, I don't know. I just, I really, really fell in love with this movie for no particular reason, uh, other than I just watched it endlessly that year it was just it was just uh yeah it was just one of those movies i gravitated to but well, most most of these deep sea movies always had some kind of monster it was always like kind of a play on aliens where you had some monster going after people in some deep sea facility for some reason um and this one you've got unknown factors at work that are uh kind of not necessarily monstrous, just kind of intriguing. I, I think there's a lighter tone to this than you would find in most of Cameron's work from this era. Um, and it it's just kind of a neat little adventure movie. And it has the greatest performance on film ever done by Chris Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Cabin Boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> now the the line reading by Chris Elliott at the end of this movie is so <laughs> awful. It, it's almost uh, you can almost knowing Chris Elliott like we do, you can almost see him going, "Yeah, I shouldn't be here. I'm just gonna give a crappy line reading." I don't even know why I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when they, they uh, at the very end when the thing the ship rises out of the ocean and gets to the surface and they're up on top of the oil rig and the the spoiler alert they grow they go out to look and they see the deep sea oil rig on the other side of this little alien ship thing and Chris Elliott's character just goes look look <laughs> and it's just like oh you, again we go back to the whole you think this compelling <laughs> we go back to the whole you didn't have another take of that i mean come on uh, it was just like, look, it's Chris Elliott. We'll be fine. <laughs> uh, we're hanging on the abyss because I, personally, I go through the next three and I'm like, uh, I've seen them and I got nothing on Pet Cemetery, Sea of Love, or Harlem Nights. Uh, I'll, I'll take in with one final thing for the abyss. If you haven't seen it or haven't watched it in a long time, watch the director's cut. <sighs> Yeah, well, I saw the original, the theatrical, so many times. Oh no, I mean, I know the, I know the original like the back of my hand, but you do definitely get some stuff that really. Well, outside of the, this isn't going to spoil it, but outside of the tsunami, what else do you get? Uh, it's mostly the ending stuff that they kind of cleaned up a little bit. Fair enough. All right, well, close your robe and move along. Hey, uh, you want to talk about Pet Cemetery Start? Outside of just <laughs> South Park making fun of uh, <laughs> that accent, no, I, there's, I got nothing with that one. Uh, um, I don't know. We could probably comment a little bit on King and his movies here, I do, since we've never really kind of talked about him in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm trying to think of what would have been the last movie in the theater for him before this? Because this was an era where you were getting King movies in the theater and on TV it seemed like constantly. So, God, he almost had his own little cottage industry out of those things uh, during this time period. Well, it was about one a year. The The first movie I ever remember seeing that was Stephen King was uh, was Misery. And then I've been in the 90s, right? That was 1990, yeah. And then I went back and I read the book because mom had those book club, book of the month things, and I tried reading it. And I honestly, I couldn't even get through half of it. I'm like, well, I already saw the movie. And I had that problem with (laughs) the Rodney Dangerfield problem. I've already seen the movie. It's following along pretty faithfully. Uh, I'll be done. But I'm just not a huge Stephen King nut. I never have been, never, probably never will be. But he's a good writer, and when it's a compelling story, I will go along with it. But most of the time, eh, I'll see the movie. I'll put the back-to-school danger field. I'll see the movie. I'm in and out in two hours. Who has the time? The, the, the filmography is uneven at best, I would say. This is probably just somewhere down the middle of the road for most folks, I, I would have a guess. Sure. It's sure. kind of like, yeah, it's it's king. It's it's fine. <laughs> well, but it's not really. I don't think for most people, beloved classic or instant go to when you think of King. So pretty much. Well, the next one, Sea of Love. Sea I just of remember love. From, that happened. Yep, I just <laughs> I remember saw the, it once. The I puberty lessons about it. <laughs> the puberty lessons of oh hey, it's got a uh, an amorous Ellen Barkin scene in it, but. Uh, uh, so I, I don't even remember it. So that shows you how indelible Mark that was on a teenage boy. That movie, I know I have seen it, but I, 
couldn't tell you anything about it. Harlem Nights, I don't think I've ever seen. Well, Harlem Nights has, I believe that was the one that was shot in over the Rhine here in Cincinnati. And I only remember it because of one scene that I always go back to that cracks me up. And if Harlem Nights is the one with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall and Richard Pryor, I think, then... It, there's a scene where these mobsters are shooting up a window or shooting up these guys that are behind a window and Arsenio Hall and his other goons have these big Tommy guns and he's like three or four times he's yelling and they fire the gun and then immediately when they're done this little stone-faced henchman of theirs just has this little cap gun and just goes and it, it, he does it like three times in a row until Arsenio Hall gets pissed off. And I just remember that cracking my brothers and I up endlessly. It was just <laughs> funny as hell. But outside of that, we get the greatest cop team-up movie of 1989, and it doesn't have Mel Gibson in it. It's God. Tango and Cash! Uh, what were they thinking? <laughs> oh, come on. Tango and Cash was the greatest film of the 1980s. <laughs> This should be number one on the list with a bullet. A Terry Hatcher-sized bullet. It it definitely is uh, uh, high cheese. (laughs) It is. It's... You know, if they'd taken it just a little bit further, not that the people involved, especially during that time period, probably would have been on board for it, but this would have been a wonderful satirical film (laughs) coming out of the era of, like, the uber-violent, over-the-top, buddy-cop genre movies and everything. Well, it was uh, just following, there. It was following <laughs> Lethal Weapons formula beyond a shadow oh, of a yeah. doubt. But it was, yeah. let's put Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone together. What could happen? Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was the trailer voice for Tango and Cash. Uh-oh. <laughs> Stan Bush. Now, these two frame cops are gonna have to clear their name. Uh, let's take it down a notch and go to another baseball film, Field of Dreams, the uh, ultimate, the ultimate father-son movie. That, oh, spoiler alert. So, um, the it, one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Baseball. And yet another movie that I claim a line in my head for seeing it multiple times. What no, What do you want? Did you see this one in the theater? I don't think so. Yeah, see, I don't think I, I... I don't think I heard about this until well after it was out on VHS. I might not have watched this until, like, 91. Well... Hell, it only opened on 22 theaters, so Jesus. Yeah. Um, but it grew, obviously, because it was number 19 of the year. But, yeah, I just I remember watching this endlessly because it was baseball and and that jazz. And they're going like to... This is the movie that really put Costner on the map for people. This, The Untouchables, Bull Durham, I mean, he really just had that heated thing, but then he... Kind of, I guess, got his power to do Dances with Wolves the next Wolves year. And, and then he went mad with power. Oh, Waterworld. <laughs> the Postman. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Buck at number 18. Another uh, one of those movies I saw a hundred times. Another one of those John Hughes movies, which is 
85%. Funny, 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 funny. The last 15%. Oh, my God. This God, is so Where depressing. did we just go? <laughs> Why, John Hughes? Why? Uh, I saw a lot of John Candy movies back in the 80s. John Candy driven movies. This mm-hmm. might be number one. Who's Planes from? I remember going and seeing that in the theater. Yeah. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and this one are neck yeah, and neck for that was best in there. I don't know. He was he was just always kinda kinda coming out with stuff during that era. Pretty much. But was, yeah, I been a long time since I watched this movie. I wonder how well it would hold up today. Uh, you'd have your few moments with him and Macaulay Culkin and a couple of other things, and then it would just, yeah, it would just peter out pretty quickly. So, well, I know I wouldn't hang around for the ending of it, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you, John Hughes, for making every one of your movies depressing as hell. At it's the a end. comedy, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, kinda? Well, just don't watch the last fifteen minutes of don't any of his movies. Don't watch that attempted rape scene at the end. <laughs> <if you're playing. laughs> God. Oh, wait, Ferris Bueller. Oh, well, he's think gonna, if there's yeah. if there's any other filmmaker, like comedic filmmaker, who just that's their thing. They're just kind of like, ah, oh, it's funny, oh, it's funny, it's, it's oh. <laughs> it's like if The Hangover ended with the guys all getting like put in prison, and then Zach Galifianakis is gonna shoot himself or something. Yeah, it's, it's like what it's the hell? Like bizarre. <laughs> it was. You stop and you think about it. But, the, but yeah, that's, that was his thing, and it worked for many a film. So, right, number seventeen, born on the Fourth of July. Never saw it. I have only I've seen this a I, couple of times. Hey, um, look, it's Tom Cruise getting an Oscar nod, and he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I know nothing. Um, else. It's not bad. I mean, it's the first. It's in that run of uh, Vietnam movies. Sit down and casually watch, but I remember it being decent. It seems like this is like the end of the line for Vietnam vet movies, like that run that began with like Deer Hunter. Out of those, yeah, Deer Hunt from one spectrum end of the spectrum to the other, from Deer Hunter to the first Rambo movie to Platoon. Um, what was the other one? What was the uh, Full Metal Jacket? Uh, Twenty one. Uh, there's a bunch. Casualties of War. Or, yeah. It really seems like Born on the Fourth of July was kind of the wrap-up for that, because all of a sudden, outside of the joke parts of Forrest Gump, you really didn't hear that much. No, this this is probably, I think you're right, this is probably the last big kind of Vietnam epic picture, if you will. But speaking of epic pictures, Turner and Hooch. Hooch. I think I did see this one in the theater. I know I did, and I, I this again, again is on that list Tom of Hanks, maximum scenes. Tom Hanks, I'd go. See, I will. Here's my weird idiosyncrasy. Here, here, here's a delve into my stupid head. Um, this movie hit me. The opening part of this movie always sticks with me because I have a lot of OCD tendencies in my head. And I like to gravitate a lot towards, um, you know, like get get the math right and follow through the checklist and, and 
you know, get your thing, get your house in order and that kind of stuff. And I just always remember the opening credit sequence of seeing Tom Hanks character being all OCD about like working out, making his proper dinner, getting his clothes ready for the next day for work. I remember doing that for like the rest of my years in school, just because of this movie, (laughs) like I'm going to put, I'm going to fold my clothes and get them ready for work so that I don't have to worry about it in the morning. And it really did help me stop being procrastinator. And for some reason, going back to Turner and Hooch, if, if I can take away anything from Turner, and hooch that's it that and get a big brush on a hose to wash a dog in the yard but i just remember lots of dog and tom hanks hijinks and then kind of a upsetting ending to this one yeah but then they try to re-enliven it with a a new dog yeah was Uh, it a new dog or was it hooch i think it's a new dog yeah okay yeah Yep, never kill a dog in a movie, or yeah, which fail. is probably why I've only seen this one time. But. <laughs> seen, seen a million times. As of number fifteen. Oh yeah, Christmas Vacation. There we go. Yep, it's uh, can't can't see the lines, can you, Russ? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a step up after European Vacation, and it holds. As a classic, it's a. Uh, I think this you one, pretty much have this and the original to go to in that film series because uh, the other three are. Well, European Vacation, I find, has some. European Vacation's got its moments. This is, but you'd probably have to go with, you know, the first one and this one, and then European Vacation, and then then it's just like and the rest. <laughs> yeah, here's our here's our uh, our tangent into doing a vacation podcast, and we can sum it up in ten seconds or less. The first one, hilarious and awesome. Christmas Vacation has uh, about 85% really funny bits. And the other ones, European Vacation has about 50% funny bits. And then there's other. (laughs) That's all. Vegas Vacation, Cousin Eddie's Island. (laughs) Oh, God, Cousin Eddie. (laughs) Jesus, all right. And then uh, whatever came (laughs) out last year. New Ed Helms Vacation or something. Yeah. Steel Magnolias, Joy Roberts, big old bursting onto the scene, and not much else going on there except for, well, that's a chick movie. Uh, remember that that's based off of a play. Uh-oh. But, uh, again, I, I'm sure I saw it. Can I tell you much about what happens and why? No. <laughs> I think Julia Roberts dies in it. Yeah, she's sick or something. It's about diabetic or something, I think. I don't I don't remember. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I didn't see that. Watch Steel Magnolia. <laughs> sure. Or The Little Mermaid. I never saw it. I will lay claim. It's one of those Disney movies that I, in that renaissance there, I saw most of them. I did not see The Little Mermaid. I had younger sisters. I've definitely seen The Little Mermaid. And did you enjoy The Little Mermaid? <laughs> well, it... Again, this is if you if you look at the I can't speak to the film so much itself, but if you look at what was going on with Disney and animation in general at this time, it is kind of interesting to hear the story about this and how this movie really saved Disney animation and brought about a renaissance that through Pixar you could you know kind of argue is still continuing um but yeah if uh, something like this hadn't come along around the time that it did um 
We're in a different world. Yeah, things would be very different as far as this whole art form and type of storytelling goes. So um, it does it does have, I think, some significance along those lines. Other than that, um, it's different from the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, and that's about all I can tell you. Well, all I know is there's that's... a sea witch. <laughs> all I know is it's your hands and everything. Live under the sea. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> uh, um, before the we, of the, oh. yeah, before we get into the the top eleven here, of which I have seen. Well, no, I can't say that. Never mind. War of the Roses. Yep. Danny DeVito, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner. It's post Romancing the Stone, so I'm assuming that's how it got to number twelve. I you kind of go from Romancing the Stone, which is definitely the high point, to Jewel of the Nile, which is kind of a bit of a head scratcher through a lot of it, to this, which I often forget exists. Yeah, and I think it was just a a, a trailer movie. I remember seeing the trailer, and it's like, oh, look, this married couple's having a battle. These rooms are mine. But as far as the actual story or the movie, I vaguely have, I can't even say I remember seeing it. That's how forgettable it Again, is. Again, I feel like I saw it one time. I remember kind of the general message being something along the lines of if these two had realized that they still loved one another or come to their senses earlier, they wouldn't have destroyed themselves, but instead they did. That's about all I remember about it. So it happened. Everyone (laughs) go watch War of the Roses or don't. But the next one on the list, again, I have seen hundreds of times when (laughs) Harry met Sally. And I may have seen this twice. Uh, Rob Reiner was really playing a hot streak at this point in his career with uh, directing. Well, I think this and the American president, well, Spinal Tap are his like high points. Uh, no, Princess Bride. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I take it back. I take it yeah, back. No. Fine. Fine. Was... He's a meathead. He wins. <laughs> he wins. He was. He was really clocking in some hits during this era. True. And then he got to American president, and then. What else? <laughs> he had his run. Well, he had his run, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I just remember this because uh, I got the... It, it, this was the movie that introduced me to the music of my high school years because, ladies and germs, I was not a popular culture high schooler. Whoa. I didn't know new bands. I didn't know who the hell Nirvana versus Pearl Jam versus whatever... Whatever I don't know. I can't even make up names because I just didn't. I was not. So you just referred to them as uh, you guys as rock or roller bands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just was not into that stuff like everybody was. But by God, I, anytime Harry Connick Jr. came out with something new, I was there. So I, I listened to the Beatles and Harry Connick Jr. on an endless loop. That's how boring I was music wise when I was a kid. And this is the movie that got me into that with his soundtrack album and. And for that run there, that was that's where I that that's where my music taste ran. That's what I take from this movie. Uh, other than the soundtrack, anything else worth commenting on about this one? Um, it's the foundation for the modern day romantic comedy. That's uh, that's fair. I I think it. There's some other movies that came before the genre. Yeah, it really did. It really was the template that everyone still kind of follows right now. It's the grandfather to every romantic comedy you see right now. 
but that's not ba- not bad. <clears throat> Neither's the next one. Oh, Dead Poets. Oh. All right, this is this will be. I don't know. This will be a different kind of question, I guess, because you could parse this in a couple of different directions. Was this Robin Williams' best movie? Um, it's possible, Captain, but <laughs> best movie. Yeah, that's what I mean by you can parse that in different directions. Yeah, because I'd say <laughs> personally, his best performance is uh, Good Morning Vietnam, mm-hmm. but no, that's not a great movie. Um, well, and then there's his straight comedy stuff. This is definitely not a, one of his comedies. So. I mean, just best movie, period. Some people might even say Aladdin, but I don't know if that could, that could count. Uh, good Will Hunting has got a good good run. Um, I kind of discount that one just because he isn't the lead. Okay, here here's uh, I'll I'll I'll. I'll I'll take you up on your your uh, <laughs> your thing, and I'll double down back with All right. this. All right. You're not qualifying as this best Oscar-worthy movie, just best movie, period. Right. I believe there, <clears throat> to pull out my Kennedy, there are some who say that uh, Mrs. Doubtfire would probably be his best movie. I have a, I have a sneaky suspicion that would somebody would throw that out. Probably. No. Uh... Just from top to bottom, pure Robin Williams at his penultimate with a movie that is highly watchable. All ages can enjoy it. He still can watch it today. I think Mrs. Doubtfire might be that one. Dead Poet Society is good. Mm-hmm. I will say it's very good. But there are still some pieces of it where I'm like, it's good, but it's not the greatest thing of all time. That's my opinion. How about you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I, I guess I kind of separate him out the way that he kind of did with his own career, where you've got his more serious movies and then you've got his comedy movies. But this is the serious, the lone serious Robin Williams without a beard. He doesn't have a beard in Goodbye Vietnam or Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, but that was a comedic role. <laughs> That's another one that kind of straddles the line a little bit. Yeah, it's just the old wives' tale. of yeah. it's, it's the the even-numbered Star Trek are good kind of thing. <laughs> it's the, the bearded Robin Williams will get nominated for an Oscar, and the shaven Robin Williams will make you laugh. Yeah. That was the old adage. I got you. I'd have to look at the Robin Williams list, though, to really go off... I, I, that's hard. Well, we, know, we know it's not flubber. <laughs> well, how do you know? There <laughs> could be a high just, level of flubber. We go just no. No haven. Hey. God, uh, I forgot how busy Morgan Freeman was this year. Well, why are you skipping over Parenthood? <laughs> um, we can back it up to that, but I mean, Parenthood's I just. just a, I, I just scrolled up a little bit and I went, "Oh my gosh, this is like his third major movie this year." <laughs> well, Parenthood was just popular, just because, or uh, important, just because it produced a long-running television show a few years ago that just ended that a lot of people liked. I never saw. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen this movie all the way through. It's not great. <laughs> okay. It's it's okay. Just remember some kid throwing up. Yeah, Steve Martin. 
And I mean, the, the, the cast list is enough to take it off. I mean, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, Mary Steenburgen, Keanu. Um, Whoa, yeah. And before that, before that Fox TV show that came out a couple years ago, this was the only other time I saw Steph from Goonies in a movie. Okay. Uh, she was in this uh, uh, Martha Plimpton um, and a very young Joaquin Phoenix was in it um, Jason Robards yeah got Amadeus Amadeus is his name Thomas Hulse or whatever uh, yeah it was yeah, it was it was trying to be a super drama, but with some comedic parts, and it just never really gelled for me. But then again, I haven't seen it in twenty five odd years. But and then we get to the best picture of the year that you were Morgan Freemaning about. Miss <laughs> Daisy a little Morgan Freeman, or three films with Morgan <laughs> Freeman in one year. That's right. And this is his probably. Outside of Shawshank, I'd say this might be his most famous role. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know him as God, and then you think, yeah, but he was really only in that Bruce or uh, Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey movie, and suddenly he's the voice of God. But... Well, we could have we could have stuck him in Star Trek V then, because they went searching for God <laughs> well, in the sh- middle of the galaxy. <laughs> Drive it. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that to you, Morgan. <laughs> Stay away from that movie. And now I've gone to driving Captain Kirk. <laughs> Where do you want to go, Captain ship. Kirk? <laughs> Sulu, take us out and let's go find God. God. Or myself. <laughs> this is a lot of talking about Morgan Freeman and very little talking well, about a movie that movie, I yeah. never uh, saw. Again, I know I've, Dan Aykroyd was in it at one best picture. Never saw of it. <laughs> On TV, but I've never um, watched the entire thing all the way through. Well, fair enough. Have you? Never. Oh, I okay. I never saw it. I I know Dan Aykroyd's in it, and Jessica Tandy, and Morgan Freeman drives Miss Daisy, who is Jessica Tandy. Probably <laughs> one of these days, this should be one of those like go back and check it out things. Yeah, I've got my little list of shame that includes at some point if I actually ever have free time or if I break an, I if I break both ankles and have nothing else to do, then maybe I'll be able to sit and watch like a marathon or something. But instead of television shows, I've always wanted to just go back and watch all the best picture winners that I've never seen, and this would be on that list. I've yep. never saw. Driving Miss Daisy. But the next one I saw on opening night, first show, <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. I saw this in the theater. It wasn't opening night, but I did see this in the theater. And uh, what does Bobby Brown have to say about it? <laughs> um, I guess he's going to have to take control because uh, the Ghostbusters are back. And How How is this? Okay, I, I didn't see the reboot here this summer. How is this movie looking now with uh, the experience of a reboot to kind of look at it? See, that is such a that's such a loaded question from you because I know where you come from on this movie. I didn't think this movie is garbage. I think this movie has a lot of funny bits that it Again, just doesn't live up to the first. Bits and it's got it's got some. Um, good story beats, and it's even got moments where it's got some good characterization in it. But the villain in this is terrible, and the pacing in this is terrible. And 
there's just other nonsensical things we were just like kind of like you were going with what that's the best take you got <laughs> it's like really that's that's where you decided to go with this <laughs> it just was it just wasn't the first movie that i think that's no, the that's the problem yeah. I, that's to go back to our grander speak that we were we had at the beginning of this that's my biggest problem right now with movie fandom is that uh you know take the recent release of suicide squad third movie of the big dc cinematic universe and it got shit on so much by critics and fanboys it just went in and it's like oh my god we were hoping this would be great the trailer sold it as great and my thought is are we ever going to be able to go back to a time where you can just go in and not see any trailer whatsoever and just watch the movie that's presented to you without any preconceived notions because that's getting so much in the way of movies that aren't great like the Ghostbusters that just came out this summer was not great. In fact, well, I, I won't even I say it was good. Yeah, well, I didn't it know if this was. So was this? Like, Two is better than <laughs> this summer's Ghostbusters. Okay, well, that's yeah, yeah that's kind of what I was <clears throat> but, wondering. It, yeah, it. But you can't. I mean, I guess you just you can't divorce yourself when you got a sequel or a reboot. You just can't divorce yourself in the comparisons. But well, if you were able to remove comparisons, I would yeah. say Ghostbusters Two is a funny movie that falters a little bit, but it, it gets down to uh, you know this is Adolf Hitler's stepchild on screen because it's not the first one, and that's where it, it falls apart for me at least. Is I, I find it funny. But it's it's not the first one, so it's, yeah. oh, it must be crap. No, well, it's just the not thing crap. that I find interesting about both of these movies is they get flack for not being at the same level as the first movie, but they also get flack for taking too much from the first movie, as far as like the structure and that kind of stuff goes. Yeah, that is definitely a problem of two. Is well. Let's just have them do the same things again, but differently or something. Yeah, and I mean, I think this was still in an era where sequels were evolving, but they hadn't, like, really fully evolved. Well, we were not anywhere into the cinematic universe building that we have now. This was more along the lines of, the first movie made money. We gotta make a second. Let's do it again so we can make more money. Exactly. Which leads us to the next one on the list. Future part two. (laughs) God, you talk about a money grab. Back to the Future Uh was a perfect film. In fact, it's in my top five favorite films of all time and will never be removed. But I I remember liking part two as a kid only because it had, it seemed like it had so much going on that had to be figured out on multiple viewings. But watching it now, it's like, I think this film is kind of a mess. (laughs) I wonder if people would still talk about or remember the original Back to the Future as much or in the way that they do if these sequels didn't exist. Oh, I think so. Do you think it, uh, but you we think would, it wouldn't get lost in the shuffle, so it, to speak? Well, if it, there was just one of them? It wouldn't be 
I don't think we would have celebrated it last year with Michael J. Fox, Chris Floyd, Leah Thompson going on talk shows. Mm-hmm. I think the only reason that happened is because of part two going traveling to 2015. And then you have the trilogy of the original three Back to the Future movies that gets lumped together. Even though, as another fellow podcaster put it, no, it's really the first movie that has a couple of other things going on, and people usually remember, oh, it's a great movie, not a great movie series, because two and three are what they are, but people remember the first one as great, but because of the second one, just the subject matter of the second one, not the quality, mm-hmm. I think it's, it is up there as far as being remembered forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that, we, but we talked. I think we talked about that past. Yeah, so. we did. I don't. I don't want to. But the the next series of movies that we do have to go into is the <laughs> Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Oh gosh, the epic. next two that I'm looking at. Uh. Well, I saw Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Uh. I don't know if I got to ten. Maybe I got to eight or nine times seeing Honey I Shrunk the Kids. But uh, I may have seen this once. And the premise, I think, would work beautifully for a modern day reboot. I think if I anything could ever be remember how many of these they did. Three. I feel like we they just... it up. It was three. Was it three? I feel like they just plowed this thing into the ground. Well, pretty much. But <laughs> this was the sole reason why Rick Moranis was able to uh, retire early and live high on the hog from the money he good, made off of these movies. <laughs> good for him. Made $130 million domestically, and he probably made 20% of that because he had some sort of Nicholson money deal on these things. <laughs> um, it's like, sure, I'll shrink, blow up the kit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But as far as just a, a premise that we, we that could be redone, God, that's so ripe for being being redone right now is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Just with the technology, what they were able to do on Ant-Man, and they still didn't do a whole lot. I mean, you'd think on Ant-Man, it would all be in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of, look at how big all these normally small things are. And yet, there wasn't a whole lot of that movie that was like that. Both properties are owned by Disney. I'd say it's time for a mashup. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Rick Moranis and... Paul Rudd are in the Marvel he, universe. He becomes he becomes Ant Man's sidekick. <laughs> just looking for his kids. <laughs> Paul Rudd just runs by and they just do the oh okay and they just nod at each other as they pass. Yep, yep this thing writes itself. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, look who's game, coach. I'm ready. <laughs> Well, look who's talking there. I mean, which brings us to look who's talking. Uh, and, and sadly, I did see this one in the theater. Yep, I did too. I saw it multiple times at 12 and 13 years old. It was highly funny. It was John McClane doing a voice. I was sold beyond sold. And 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 then you watch it now, and oh, it's Travolta. And, Oh, it's yeah. Kirstie Alley. I'm not surprised oh. this is sitting at a 5.8 on here. <laughs> it's just... Well, uh, you talk about diminishing returns because they did do two more of this as yeah, well with yeah. a sequel. But, I mean, it was original. It was, it was unique. Time. And I can totally understand why it's number four. It was mar- it, There was marketing out the ass for this movie, and it was... Again, it was 
John McClane, hot off of Moonlighting and Die Hard, is doing the voice. And Travolta, I remember him. And hey, that's the girl from Cheers. This could be funny. Hey, it's kind of funny. And then it... Yeah, it happened. I wonder if this is where my distaste for movies with, like, especially CGI-manipulated talking babies came from. <laughs> Possibly, but don't forget, this movie didn't have CGI-manipulated yeah, talking know, babies. It just had a voiceover. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we get into the top three. Well. The movies I have seen <laughs> so many damn times that if I were to sit here right now, over the next six hours, I could recite all the lines of dialogue probably <laughs> of these three. Lethal the Weapon 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Batman. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I got to wait a couple years for that three one. Three years too soon. Lethal the Weapon 2. Saw it a ton. That uh, it was just on. Oh, this loop. movie just was it. It was. It was it, the it really was. action blockbuster for me that year, and it was, yeah, it, it, more so than the first. I remember the first one just kind of like eh, it's kind of that. Even how I I could put myself in in 1989 shoes and still look at the original Lethal Weapon and say. Kind of looks old, because *Lethal Weapon* the first movie was only came out in '87, but it just for some reason there was I, a tint I think to the it. Way it was, yeah, I think the film stock, the way it was filmed, some of the shots and that kind of stuff, the way the characters were presented, it just yeah, it just didn't seem um, modern. Yeah, there's two you threw two, in some just three stooges, open on. Yeah, they threw in some three stooges type stuff, and it had some darkness, but it wasn't heavy drama. It yeah, was Joe fun. Pesci, eh? Yep, eh? you added Pesci, and it was it was just overall what a blockbuster movie should have been. That I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but I, a large, a large part of it, I think, as far as the basic plot does, there's some stuff that you'll, because they put this on Netflix last month, and I actually went back and rewatched. I'm about to rewatch all of them, and there's definitely some stuff in there that you that they say now, and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> well, free you'll South Africa, that, you dumb son that, of a bitch. You'll, you'll, well, not that, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll find that with uh, a lot of movies from that era. True, true, but th- this was the height. I mean, uh, Lethal Weapon oh. did two more, and they they weren't going to come close to this. No, this was definitely, I think, the one Pinnacle. that most people go to. Well, I don't know. Most people probably go to the first, but for me, yeah, this is the this is the one. And then uh, we 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 are down to number two. And I will say personally, this is my favorite of this film series of Mister Doctor Jones. This, is, pro- this is probably my second favorite. Yeah, I, I'd put this, and then Kingdom of Crystal Skull is a close second. <laughs> Part time. <laughs> oh, God, uh, I'm getting off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we haven't gotten to Batman. No, it, it, I, I would put this one ahead of Raiders for me personally, just personal taste, and probably because I saw it so many I, damn I times. I think it's, I think it's kind of a refinement of the Raiders formula. True, true. Um, and uh, just. The the ending of this with riding off into the sunset was so great, and let's leave it there. Well, 
You can leave it there. Well, <laughs> By choice, you can choose. They're going to do, they're gonna do a fifth. You can choose to leave it there. They're going to do it. You can choose to leave it there. <laughs> Look, Sulla didn't come back. Denholm Elliott's gone. It's over. It's done. It's finished. Sean Connery retired, you jerks. <laughs> and you killed off my character. He named the dog Indiana. <laughs> and yeah, then... This was a fun one. Though. And then we come to shaving a symbol into your head. <laughs> Batman. Everybody's got a t-shirt. Tell them what you've seen. <laughs> oh, this movie You could not was... escape this movie. No, there, you really could There was couldn't. literally no escape in this movie. <laughs> it was... It was everywhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, I got the novelization. I got the comic book version. I got the fucking tops playing card, trading cards. Yeah, yeah. And again, with the coming into puberty, I got the Vicky Vale trading card that I would tack up on my wall. So it was, uh, yeah, this, this was here's, a seminal thing. Here's here's something for it. It's, it's an ancillary question to the film, but I think it's kind of an interesting one. Do you think that... Uh, this was probably the biggest marketed movie for us after, like, growing up with the Star Wars movies and being saturated in, like, toys and comics and records and so on from that. Like, this was the next thing that really just, boom. Yes. Just couldn't get away from it. Unequivocally, yes. Okay. And even though trailers and such hit hard now, I don't think you can match it. I mean, it was just... It was just so simple, though. I mean, it was just that simple. It was, but it was just the the fever pitch for something that you look back on now and watch the movie itself, and you're like, what was all the hype for? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy sit to watch that movie now, because critically, you watch that and you think, oh, there's no story here. Yeah, you start, you, you start pulling out why and you get in trouble real fast with this movie. You just start pulling some threads and it unravels rapidly. It's uh-huh. not a good movie, but by and God, it, it was all I had for my favorite character. Pick off some some trends, though. Yeah, it was the only thing I had to go off of for my favorite character. So by God, I was going to watch that thing to death. Oh, I got, I remember Christmas, yeah, Christmas of 89, I got this uh, on VHS, and man, did we watch that movie a lot. Man, how (laughs) many times did, break especially there. How many times did we have to fast forward to that damn Diet Pepsi commercial with Michael Go? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, let's put, let's put Alfred the Butler facing the camera with a Diet Pepsi and then different shots of the Batmobile driving from the movie. Suggesting that I visit the Warner Brothers store. Oh, God. Hooked up with some (laughs) Batman apparel. (laughs) Kids, this was called VHS, where you had to fast forward. And so you had to see it. Even if it was going at fast speed, it was still there imprinting on your head. Shit, now I'm remembering the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade Diet Coke commercial. Where <laughs> <laughs> the floor is collapsing and he's having to go all through the kitchen that's falling in on itself to get to the Diet Coke. Oh, good lord. <laughs> 
Oh, damn you, advertising! <laughs> but the movie, we've set our piece. It's, uh, it was something. It was... Again, uh, another one of those just kind of bellwether films, whether it deserves it or not long-term, it it has its place in history. Yeah, Batman does a whole lot of nothing in that movie. <laughs> He fought a guy with a sword in an alleyway. That's all he did. That's really all he did. I can't turn my head. (laughs) Alfred! Uh, (laughs) Doing the full shoulder turn to look at you. What? (laughs) Jump all the way around. (laughs) A nine-year-old would kick Batman's ass in that rubber suit. But damn it, of all the cinematic movies since 89... Aesthetically speaking only, I still say that's my favorite looking Batman suit. Is the eighty nine Keaton suit. Um, it's arguably a little bit simpler than some of the ones that followed. Yeah, just aesthetic only. As far as close to the comics, that's Affleck easily. Yeah. And then the Batman Begins early Dark Knight version is pretty good. But as far as just simple aesthetics of the way it was photographed and the way it looks the in fact this is how much i liked it and it's still living on with us now i have a playstation 4 i have the newest batman arkham knight game and there was a downloadable skin so you could wear the different costumes and stuff i downloaded the 89 batman skin it was free and I put it on, I played the whole game in that skin because it just is much more appealing than anything else they had to offer. They, they, you could even look like Bale and Dark Knight. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to wear these hockey pads. <laughs> but that, if that's all I can take that'll, from that'll it, be, though. That'll be the next iteration of Batman. We're going to strip him down to the basics. He will be in hockey pants, damn it. I'm going to wear hockey pads. Uh, but that's 89. And, uh, and and now, oh man, we got to prep for the '90s. What kind of futuristic things could we look forward to in the upcoming decade? We'll all be in flying cars, flying cars, food that looks like gelatin. Yes, <laughs> robots and lasers <laughs> <laughs> and robots. <laughs> 1989, it was a fancy year. The Simpsons began, Joe Piscopo moved on, and Batman ruled the roost, even though I think The Burbs was better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, radically different movies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we wrap it up. Of all the movies we just went through, what's your favorite movie of 1989? Oh, God. Um... Hmm... Not the best, but your favorite. It would probably... Okay, if I had to, like... If you're doing the whole you must choose but choose wisely thing, I'd say either The Last Crusade or The Abyss would probably be the two that I'd sit down and watch, like, first. Yeah, I would probably go... The Abyss... The Burbs, or Lethal Weapon 2, possibly, is my favorites. Now, what was the best movie of the year? The best, Jerry? 
the best. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you already made your 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 choice during yeah. the list. You, yeah. you think Dead Poets is the best movie to come out of that year? Uh, I think you could make a pretty strong argument for it in the drama category. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Field of Dreams has something, but yeah, I'd say Dead Poets has got a good running without ever having seen Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, we're kind of biased since we haven't seen that movie yet. So. <laughs> the actual best what picture winner. What do you know, Academy? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to go past 50 all the way to 100. Say anything. It's all about say anything. I'm just looking for anything I actually saw. Hey, chances are there's another movie I saw a billion times with Downey. Um... Another Friday the 13th movie. They were at the end of their run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Halloween 5. They were kind of running out of gas there. Yeah, 1989. The Nadir of the 80s slashers. Yeah, that really was the uh, closing bell for those. <laughs> it was Nightmare it was just, 5, Friday the 13th, it was just 8, continually and Halloween trying five. to hold on to diminishing returns on those things. Yeah, I don't see much of anything else that I much less saw or cared about. There's your Who's Harry's Crumb, Young Einstein, <gasps> Police Academy 6! Oh, we need to do a show on that. Oh, man, we missed the Police Academy movies and Young Einstein. <laughs> hey, The Wizard <laughs> with Fred Savage. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Remember this? TV's Fred Savage? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just see a whole lot of dreck from 50 on out. There's a reason why they're in 50 on out, because well, I don't see anything even... We didn't go that far back in time. Yeah. Okay. I'd say we're... <laughs> we're spoiling our good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> just remember The Abyss. I think that's our, our mutual uh, film to go back to, is The Abyss. Yeah. So, so what that means... Is our next episode? We're going to do a hindsight is twenty twenty positive spin. You should watch the abyss. That's how we're going to do it. Yeah. So, and then after the abyss, we'll do a another year, and then we'll figure out what our favorite moment is that, that year, and we'll just spin it out and do that. <laughs> we'll have to go back to our years we've already done and figure out what's the best movie of nineteen ninety two. Well, obviously Chicago wins for defense. Okay, well, we need to go back and watch Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, go Chicago, (laughs) darling. What? What happened? (laughs) Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Ghosts and goblins. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Why am I dripping with fool? Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. God damn it, he's a goddamn crescent, Rich. Okay, but... Ah!